Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Meister fans, before we welcome our guest today, I have probably the most exciting piece of news that you're going to hear all day and maybe all year. We are giving away a kayak and not just a kayak, a Jackson kayak. If you caught episode number 58 with Emily Jackson, she is a member of the Jackson 5, the Jackson kayak family business. And they have been so gracious to offer our listeners a free Jackson kayak. Now, here's how to win. We want you to get your creative juices flowing by sending us a picture that illustrates why you need a kayak. You can post these pictures to Instagram, to Facebook, to Twitter, whatever's easiest for you. Use the hashtag Jackson Meister so we can track all these pictures and we'll pick our favorite one. It can be serious. It can be funny. Just make it awesome. And we will send you a free Jackson kayak, the Jackson Riviera. The Riviera is a really stable, easy to paddle, comfortable kayak. This one's for floating down the river, having a great time. Check out more details on our website, mtnmeister.com. Hello, Meister fans. Welcome to another episode of Mountain Meister. This is Ben speaking. Hey, guys. It's Russell. Today on the show, we welcome Anton Krupichka. Anton is an American ultra runner. He has won the Leadville 100 twice, the Rocky Raccoon 100 miler, the Miwok 100K, and many other races. Anton is known for his long hair and beard and his minimalist approach, where he often runs with no shirt, short shorts, and with very lightweight running shoes. He ran his first marathon when he was 12 years old, and during college and his early 20s, he often ran upwards of 200 miles a week. Anton, welcome. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on the show, guys. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on the show today, Anton. And for our listeners that don't really feel like doing math right now, <laughs> if you were to do that 200 miles in a week, come out to about 28 and a half miles per day, which if someone runs a marathon in their life, usually that's like one of the proudest things they've ever done. <laughs> you were doing that on a daily basis, probably up in the mountains too, where it's even harder. So what are you thinking? I don't know. What's what's going on in your head? Is that really tough for you? I don't know. That was like 10 years ago. <laughs> I've, uh, my, my running's kind of evolved since then. Back sort of like the last year or two of college and then a few years after that I was really focused on high mileage and doing a lot of it and it would end up being about four hours of running a day typically and I don't know I've always just been very passionate about running and there is definitely an element of if you know if you can outwork everyone else then you know you're going to be the best that kind of thing but at some point you realize that mileage is redundant and ultimately isn't serving you anymore. Interesting. So uh, this is funny. We were trying to plan some time for this interview and you said in one of your emails, I'm planning my last pre-Europe long run for that day so we can do it after that. So you went on a run today, but then you told me before the interview that it turned out not to be as long as you planned. How long is a not so long run for you today? Uh, I did about three hours this morning. Three hours. Okay. Yeah. So it's a pretty long run for Russell and me. How'd it go though? 
Oh, it was good. Uh, basically, what happened? So I'm doing a 75 mile race in you know eight days, and um, a few days ago I, I just took a tumble while running and, and banged my knee on a rock and bone bruised uh, my patella. It hasn't really limited my running that much, but just doing a long effort on technical trails in the mountain was just kind of a lot of wear and tear on it. So today, instead, I did more of like a three-hour outing. And it was very typical of what I do. It was here in Boulder. Started kind of with a scramble of the first flat iron, went to the top of Green Mountain, went over to Bear Peak, descended that, and did a another scramble of a different flat iron called seal rock and then ran home. So yeah, it ended up being about three hours, about 5,500 feet of vertical, a lot of technical trail and, uh, yeah, it was a good outing. Absolutely. So for our listeners who aren't aware of the type of trail running, uh, that Anton does, if you need a visual look at it, we'll have some videos posted to our website on Anton's Meister profile page. For another look at ultra marathoning, also we had Garrett Robbins on the show. He is episode number 32, and we talk about a specific race called the Hard Rock 100 in that episode. Uh, for Anton's episode today, we'd love to focus on running earlier in his career and then also the style that he has now. So let's go to the early running first, Anton. And I read earlier, you did your first marathon when you were 12 years old. Were you just, were you born into running? Uh, I mean, neither my parents ran or anything, no. Uh, It was just, I got started running in preparation for the presidential physical fitness test that you do during, you know, PE class in elementary school. And it was a one mile run. And I remember in the fifth grade, I was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, the month before that, I'm going to run a mile every day to get ready for it. And yeah, I kind of took off from there. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like it. For yeah. your one miler, it all of a sudden became a marathon. <laughs> yeah. So that was February 95. And then in July of 96 is when I ran my first marathon. You know, I was 12 years old and uh, I'd been running for less than 18 months or right about 18 months at that point. And I don't know, it, it appealed to me right from the beginning. Both the activity itself and then sort of the way that it kind of takes over your psyche. And so I started running in February of 95. My first training log entry is April 12th, 1995. So like, I guess from the very beginning, you know, and I have training log entries for every day since then. Right from the start, I was pretty serious about it, I guess. So when I was 12 years old, I was pretty unsure of everything in my life. I was playing every kind of sport I could. I think I played hockey, basketball, tennis, golf. Uh, my dad took me rock climbing. I, I just had no focus. I had nothing I was doing. And I was this really, really short kid too. So I didn't have like a ton of self-esteem. Did this one focus that you had with running and your success with it really make you a confident child growing up? Right. No, I mean, that's exactly it. It, it was an easy or an obvious way to kind of like start developing an identity and and self-esteem and and something I could draw confidence from. Um, because, you know, I grew up in a very small school. You know, I grew up on a farm seven miles outside of a town of 350 people. There was 12 people in my graduating class as a public school. I experienced a little bit of success right on, you know, right away. I was like, oh, it was the fastest in my class over one mile, you know. And, and so then you kind of latch on to anything positive in your life when you're that age. But I just kind of took off with it. You had a ton of other classmates around you, and I'm sure they weren't as focused on things maybe as you were. Did you almost stand out and 
was it difficult for the other students to really be on the same page with you and, and really be able to talk to you about normal 12 year old things? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, everyone goes to school and everyone has the same classes and, you know, I was dealing with the same teachers and, and all that sort of thing. Running was just this thing that was my own really. And, but yeah, I mean, I was certainly, uh, you know, a bit of an outcast, I guess. Not one of the popular kids. <laughs> so then you eventually did running, cross-country running in college, which I read. But relative to your prowess, I guess, in endurance running now, you really weren't that good. Oh, no. I was, I've never been exceptional at all. Just like resoundingly mediocre, actually. Uh, at, you know, anything under a marathon. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. Only recently have I kind of like come to terms with the fact that maybe I actually do have a, a talent for this longer stuff. And, you know, by longer, I mean, you know, 50 miles and further. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all of my competitive life before I found ultras, I felt like exceptionally untalented, actually. Just the, I just really liked it, you know? Okay. I mean, my 5K PRs and 10K PRs is just not notable in any sort of way. I'm sort of embarrassing, actually, considering the fact that I'm now a professional runner. Yeah, I th- there's just a much different uh, skill set required for success in long mountain races. And for whatever reason, it's something that I've either like developed to myself or that I have sort of an innate predilection for. And uh, yeah, it's good. But physically, I mean, your, your structure, your body structure, you look like a runner. You look like you would be very good at doing this cross-country running in college or anything under a marathon, I guess. Do you yeah. think that it's the mental prowess that that makes you better? Uh, no, there's a couple of things. First off, I'm pretty big for a runner. Hmm. You know, I'm I'm six foot and racing weights like about 150 or so. That's just big if you're going to actually be a good runner. Most hmm. good runners, you know, in the 5K, 10K, they're quite a bit shorter than that. They're like 120 to 130 pounds. I don't know. I'm, I'm a bigger guy when it comes to like pure running. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have a little more like muscular bulk to me than your average like ectomorph too, I would say. But uh, I mean, obviously there's a huge... Well, there's a big mental aspect to any kind of competitive running, but I guess what happens in mountain races is that there's a lot of other factors that come into play beyond just pure like VO2 max and you know your anaerobic threshold and aerobic capacity and that sort of thing, and and those are very much limiting factors for your ability to to race a fast five can of track, you know. And I've never had my VO2 max tested. I would guess that it's pretty low, but yeah. Interesting. Uh, This is a little off topic, but uh, we talked about your appearance and I'll be completely honest with you. When I first saw a picture of you, and I'm not sure if you've you've gotten this before, but I thought that it was a picture of Tom Hanks from Castaway. (laughs) (laughs) Have have you ever heard anything like that before? And I'm talking about during the race. After the races, I'm sure you clean up well, but when you're 75 miles into the race, you don't look great. Yeah, no, no one's ever made a remark about my appearance before. No, of course. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's funny, I guess. People, I think, like to categorize people, and an easy way to do that is to sort of superficially look at their appearance and immediately put them into some kind of box, and yeah. Yeah. That's cool. But, you know, I also obviously have complete control over the way I look, and I look the way I do for a certain reason, and that's because I want to identify with a certain group of people and and not be mistaken for say a duke lacrosse player or you know and uh so yeah so it works both ways so other than your appearance 
What else with the, your day-to-day life do you feel like separates you and makes you more of an authentic Anton? Well, you know, I guess I just try and like live true to my values on a daily basis, which is a constant struggle for anyone, I think, who's thinking about how to live life, you know, and not just kind of drifting through it unaware. And uh, for me, I guess that means there's a couple of things. One, I'm always interested in learning new things and uh, continuing to learn and kind of personal growth in that respect. And two, uh, I have a really deep like need to be in the mountains for my kind of like daily I don't want to say happiness but more just like contentment and satisfaction and to be kind of like spiritually right with the world and yeah that's so the, so a connection to the land is, is super important to me as well and the main way that I since I don't live on a farm in Nebraska anymore the main way that I achieve that on a daily basis anymore is being out in the mountains uh, you know running and climbing yeah, and you mentioned how it's really difficult for some people to actually be authentic. What are some strategies that you'd recommend people to partake in to actually be more of an authentic self instead of just seeing someone copying them and then telling their friends about it or, or trying these other activities? I don't know. What do you think about that? <laughs> I mean, these, these are these are heavy-hitting questions. <laughs> um, I, I am by no means like an authority to tell someone how to find their authentic self. It all comes down to passion and I guess attention and presence and spending some portion of each day. And for me, it's usually when I'm outside where I'm not tuning out for myself and instead tuning in. You know, we spend most of our days distracting ourselves in some way. And I, I do it all the time, you know, listening to music on the computer or whatever, watching a movie when I think it's really important instead to be, uh, have some time each day at least where you're, you know, listening to yourself and being true to yourself. And for me, it's usually when I'm outdoors. Yeah. And in college, you, you double majored in physics and philosophy. Uh, and so Russell majored in mechanical engineering, and I majored in finance. And both of us have, are not doing anything within our disciplines, although we both enjoy them as hobbies. Do you see physics and philosophy more as hobbies rather than a career? Yeah, so to be completely accurate, I actually ended up triple majoring. Uh, I also have a geology degree undergraduate, but uh, I'm a, a hobbyist in philosophy. Physics, no one's a hobbyist in physics beyond reading like Stephen Hawking and Carl Sagan and that sort of thing. And those are the guys that like initially got me into it, you know, along with like Richard Feynman, guys like that. And then I you know, got into the physics program as an undergrad and realized that it's just mind-bendingly difficult math that you're, that you're working with, basically. And I don't have, I don't think, a particularly strong aptitude for math. But, you know, I ground through it and got it done. And, I mean, that's why I ended up getting a geology degree, ultimately. is like, there's no way I was going to, like, be a graduate student in physics. Being a graduate student in philosophy seems like a dead end. So mm-hmm. did the geology thing and ended up going to grad school in geography, actually, which uh, doing a lot of hydrology <clears throat> and uh, physical geography. Yeah, it's interesting to hear about things you're interested above and beyond uh, what you're, quote unquote, a professional at. And people don't always just spend all their day of exactly what they do, too. But we'll lighten up the questions a little bit and get back to trail <laughs> running. So. Back to your college where you were a cross-country runner. And the reason really that we know about you is for your trail running and for the way you handle yourself in the mountains. So what are the real differences between cross-country running and trail running? Well, it depends. I mean, trail running is such a broad 
I guess you have to be more specific about what kind so, of trail. So like running up a mountain, up <laughs> your, and down your mountains. Your trail running. <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole lot of trail running that, does, that involves not running right, up a mountain. Right, true. And most of the races in the States involve not running up mountains. But uh, the differences are cross country is typically on a golf course, maybe a city park of some kind. So it's quite smooth, predictable mellow elevation changes if any trail running you know there might be some rocks and roots um might be a little more technical footing uh might be some significant elevation changes so you know you know you might have a 30 minute or an hour long climb that kind of thing where you know you're running uphill for that whole time and then a subsequent descent and uh might be some big weather changes that you have to deal with um elements uh and then uh just like certain levels of kind of uh self-dependency i guess and and self-reliance that you're certainly not going to find on a golf course or any other kind of more traditionally sanctioned running these are kind of factors that make trail running more than just running i guess yeah yeah and we talked about how trail running is very broad the the kinds of stuff that you're doing i mean we're talking about rock walls that are almost steep enough where you have to use your hands as well as your feet um, because the pitch is so steep yeah, that's that's a that's very much a personal choice and not anything. There's no races that involve that sort of, okay. you know. I mean, so so climbing is broken up into five different classes. You know, class 1 is walking down the sidewalk, class 2 is like hiking without a trail, class 3 is when you start using your hands and then like class 4 and class 5 is when you actually start roping up and and uh you know, using protective equipment from to protect a fall and you know, like this morning I was telling you about the run I did, there was the two formations I climbed were both fifth class scrambling. That would never be in a race. Mm-hmm. It's just, even in Europe where it can get highly technical sometimes, they'd at least have uh, like fixed chains or uh, kind of like rebar that they put in the mountains called Via Ferrata, uh, you know, which just literally means like iron way. Mm-hmm. But there's very few races that even have that. So, so we, we were talking about this before the interview, but you're actually going to your, Europe for a race and this is basically your last chance to train and so why are you training this way even though the races won't be this way interesting because i'm not just a racer i guess you know i i, uh, I enjoy being in the mountains and if i were 100 percent focused on being the absolute best athlete i could be i suppose i would you know train like some kind of robot <laughs> i don't know it's for me the main motivation is the mountains themselves and and interacting with them in a variety of ways and not just through running and through you know tempo runs and intervals and that kind of thing so that's a good question russell um <laughs> and also anton i noticed a lot of times we mentioned your minimalist style you don't have water when you run uh, are you drinking water during your runs or what's going on there it totally depends on the time of year and the distance of the run um this morning uh three hours here in boulder it was about 80 degrees uh it's june uh, I wanted some water at the end of the run. I didn't have any with me. Um, that's about the limit of what of the kind of the length that I you know go on in the summertime without water. I drank a little bit from a spring about halfway, just a few ounces, because because I was too impatient to you know sit there and keep sucking on this boulder. Um, yeah, so in longer efforts, you know, four hours plus, I'll carry a bottle with me that I'll um, at least use to refill at springs along the way and. And then have water, you know, I can carry with me. And that's typically how I achieve, you know, these longer efforts in the mountains in the summertime. In the winter, it's rarely an issue. You know, it's just cool enough. I can go four or five hours and a few handfuls of snow or something. When you're going on these long runs, 
do you feel or from what you've experienced that it's possible to really overwork your body to a point that it's unhealthy? I've never even come close, I feel like, to I've heard, overworking. I've heard that marathons are unhealthy for you, but, but I mean, we should leave it up to the expert to say. <laughs> well, first, I wouldn't call myself an expert. And second, uh, health, you know, a very nebulous term. But I would say that if I were concerned with only, you know, having like a healthy heart and cardiovascular system and and, you know, kind of maintaining a healthy weight and that sort of thing, I would be doing a whole lot less running than what I do. Mm-hmm. It, I think it is kind of destructive on some level probably. You know, living is sort of destructive and <laughs> then we're all going to die and you have to enjoy what you're doing while you're doing it and uh, like running. So, uh, And what about eating? What do you eat? Do you have a specific diet? I don't have a specific diet, but uh, this is actually the first year where I've really like made a conscious effort to kind of clean up my diet. In the past – it's been way too, I think, processed sugar and processed flour intensive, uh, you know, just too many simple carbs. And really in the past kind of like four to six months, I've made a pretty focused effort to not eat as much sugar and instead been eating a lot of big salads the summer and the spring. You know, and salads have everything in them. But usually I'm doing a big spinach salad with, oh, avocado and blueberries and salmon and peppers and carrots and walnuts maybe raisins that kind of thing sounds delicious (laughs) yeah it's it's good i enjoy it um i like i mean i like fruits and vegetables and then um i've actually been eating more eggs (laughs) um because you know typically what i would do is i'd get done with a run in the morning and i'd have like two apples and then a whole pile of like tortillas with nutella on them right like wreckage it's just it's just sugar and crappy flour you know and instead now I get done with a run in the morning I'll have two apples and I might make like a two egg scramble or I might do uh, like a little tortilla wrap with like um, spinach and avocado and maybe some salmon you know just to get some like protein it's like nutrient rich dense foods in my diet yeah I still you know I still maybe I still have a couple of cookies every day and you know, it's just like like sweets, carbs, and stuff are still my weakness. But I eat way less of that than I used to. It's kind of interesting that you bring up eggs. Uh, I started getting <laughs> more into running <laughs> this year, and I didn't really eat eggs that much. And then I started running more and more. And every morning, I would just crave eggs. And Ben kept giving me so much crap because he said, "Oh, you know, you can't eat that many eggs." And and I just. I don't know. Well, listen, if you're running if you're running 30 miles a day, I don't think the cholesterol has time to stick to your arteries. So I don't think you have to worry about What's eating What's the difference, eggs. though? Does that... <laughs> Three does miles pump? and 30 miles, it might be a little bit of a difference. No, I see. I think that's actually a misconception. I huh. think that uh, your diet is important irrespective of how much exercise you're getting every day. Hmm. You know, like runners can run a whole bunch and still have high cholesterol levels and that sort of thing. But I think at least the stuff that I've read, I don't know, I'm not... I know nothing about diet, really. Uh, that eggs have gotten a bad rap, generally, uh, historically, that they're not as bad for you as what you previously thought. What I, what I think. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, just kidding. Anyway, so to move on a little bit, let's talk just a little bit about injuries. So like we said, this is pretty harsh on your body. Are you scared of rolling an ankle? Is that the biggest fear when you're out there? No, the biggest fear is an overuse injury for sure, okay. which I've had plenty of. You know, I mean, I didn't run for four months this winter because my left hip was all jacked up. And, you know, and that was a result of I kind of strained it. 
and then there, you know an imbalance occurs and that just kind of like feeds on itself and becomes worse and worse so then you try and do like corrective exercises to you know correct the imbalance and it's just a long process and yeah, overuse injuries are the bane of a runner's existence, especially for someone like me who seems to, well, get a little overzealous with the volume of training and then historically has had a lot of injury issues. Running performance for me is definitely an injury prevention game. Like if I can stay healthy and get to the starting line, I'll be good to go. But getting to the starting line is hard for me. One thing that I'm sure a lot of our listeners are wondering, and especially the passionate runners, is the type of equipment that you use. So we'd like to get one gear recommendation from you. Uh, gear recommendation, let's see. Uh, well, next weekend I'm doing the, the Lava Rado 119K Ultra Trail race over in uh, Italy, which is typical of a lot of European ultras. There's a, a pretty hefty mandatory gear list. And while I don't often run in training with a pack, um, I find that more and more races I've been wanting to do, having a, a race vest helps a lot for carrying that stuff. So I'll be using that next weekend. So the Ultimate Direction AK race vest that I obviously developed with them would be my gear recommendation, I guess. It's nice. It's, uh, you know, it's five ounces, five liters capacity. It'll easily hold all my gear for the race. And, you know, it's something that a lot of trail runners use in training for carrying, you know, an extra jacket, calories, you know, usually goose or energy bars or something. Water, you can put a bladder in there. You can put a couple of water bottles up front, um, especially in the hot summer months. And yeah. So by vest, it's just, it's like a hybrid t-shirt and backpack where it's, I don't really know. What do you mean by vest, I guess? It's kind of a more recent development in hydration packs. Like you probably know what a camelback is, right? right? Yep. You know, they're a company and they make vests now too, but it's just close fitting, very finely sort of uh, designed ergonomic fit that you can adjust with a couple of straps so it, there's no bounce and that it's very stable, you know, so you can carry, you know, five pounds of whatever water and gear and it's very comfortable. Ultimate Direction uses this uh, hex mesh that's extremely breathable. Yeah, it's just a much more efficient, stable way of carrying a substantial amount of weight when you're running. Cool. I'll have to keep my eye out. So to wrap this whole interview up, we could probably go on and on with different things that Ben and I are learning, but this hasn't been a breeze for you. It's almost been like a, a roller coaster for you loving running and then you go to college and, and you're doing cross country and then you realize that maybe this isn't for you as much. So then you... you find out about trail running and you have injuries and challenges and failures, but you seem to be in a pretty good flow right now with what you're doing. You know, the race scene, you know what you like. So what is one really big challenge that you're having in your life today? That's, that's kind of different than you've had in the last 15 years. <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, I could, I could, a couple of things. Um, first, I guess just, um, you know, deciding, that you know, this is where I'm going to put all my time and energy into, and make it be a viable and uh, financially viable lifestyle. I guess I don't know. That's required a level of like attention to detail and professionalism that doesn't come naturally to me. So that's one challenge. But I'm not complaining. I'm extremely grateful for all the opportunities I've had so far in my life with regard to running. Another, maybe more just like life challenge for me is uh, over the past year, it was Thanksgiving of last year actually, I uh, had some significant hearing loss 
and end up having to get hearing aids and I'm 30 years old and I just I mean I'm something I completely don't even like think about anymore hardly but when I, when it happened I just remember being like really like this is just seems so random and like arbitrary that you know it's just, I just got a virus I had the flu and you know damaged the nerve in my ear and yeah I don't know but you know you just you just throw down a bunch of money and buy some hearing aids and I guess the biggest surprise to me about that was that hearing aids don't work that well. I spent several thousand dollars and got kind of like the top of the line thing you can. And it's, it's not like having functioning ears. <laughs> wow. This, well, that's, yeah, that's random. Like you said, how did you face that mentally? It's a big challenge. Just knowing, I mean, is this thing going to heal or are you like this for the rest of your life now? Yeah, it's not going to heal. I mean, if it, it would have healed within the first couple of months, I guess, if it was going to heal. No, for me, especially since I, I really like listening to music, I don't know. I'm not like naturally like a depressive person or anything. So when, when this happened, I was just sort of like, you know what? Like I'm really lucky in a lot of different ways in my life, you know, thinking specifically about all the opportunities I've had as a mountain runner, I guess. And um, if this is the bad karma I get in my life, I can, okay, you know, to have like 65% hearing loss. I feel I feel pretty lucky, you know. Like, like it's not cancer, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, there's definitely a takeaway there. You know, maybe it's karma, maybe it's not. But you play the cards you're dealt, and you know, if you can't do anything about something, then you just have to face it and make the best of it. So, anyway, for our listeners, you can find highlights of today's episode on our website, mtnmeister.com, under Anton's Meister profile page. And Anton, I think you have a new website. What is your new website? It's just uh, antonkrupicka.com, uh, so that's A-N-T-O-N-K-R-U-P-I-C-K-A. Great, so you can keep up with Anton there. Anton, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been wonderful talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Are you new to Mountain Meister? Because if you are, I would highly recommend doing something that's super easy and super free. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, or SoundCloud, or Stitcher Radio, and you'll get new episodes every time we upload them. We already have over 60 created. If you haven't been listening to us, go back and listen to them. They're great. Don't forget about the kayak giveaway. Just post a picture to Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, however you want. You can even Snapchat it to me if you want. The picture should illustrate why you need a kayak. Be creative with it. I'm not going to give you any ideas. When you post it, use the hashtag Jackson Meister so we can track it. And you could have a chance to win a free Jackson Kayak Riviera. 